from your homes this morning, wherever you are this morning. We're glad to have you here at the Oasis. Isaiah chapter 55 this morning, our next to last message from the prophet Isaiah. Hard to believe that we're almost done and we'll be starting a new series in the Gospel of Luke the first Sunday of September. Hey, just a quick reminder to all of us, you know, I, I get it, we're all this way, sort of summer, we can get a little lax, but I thought for these next two Sundays uh, in August before we get to September, just a little gentle reminder that if you come to the 9 o'clock service or if you come to the 11 o'clock service, let's try to get here on time. Let's try to be in the auditorium, ready to worship, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, because we believe that what happens between 9 and 9.30 or 11 and 11.30 is just as important as what happens after. They work together. And one more. Uh, when you are here, if you could make sure that you're in here, because we have found, especially this summer, when folks hang out out in the cafe area, and there's a time and a place for that, it can be very distracting to those of us in here. If I can hear you out there during the service, then I know others in the back especially can hear folks out there in the service. So just some reminders for all of us that this is what we're here for. You know, we only get 52 hours a year and you think about that, 52 Sundays, about an hour each Sunday, 52 hours. You think about how we fill up our lives with so many other things. No wonder I feel like a lot of times, like we're, we're fighting an uphill battle. Because first of all, just to get all of us consistently to be here week in and week out, and then to make sure that when we are here, we're, we're engaged and we're coming and we're ready because Folks, compared to all the other hours we fill up our lives with, this is a very, very small, minute amount. And we need to make the most of these 52 hours on Sunday that we have every year. Isaiah 55, God's invitations of grace. God is getting ready to release his people from captivity. He is getting ready to release them from exile. But before he actually does, he wants to give them a message through the prophet Isaiah. It is to express to them, look, I have done all of this work with you through your time in exile so that when you go back home, you're different than when you came into exile. And that hopefully... Your lives and all of that look so much different and that you can have a spiritual foundation that now will last and be passed on to other people around you from this day forward. And so God gives here two invitations and two purposes behind those invitations to his people. And the great thing is that these invitations still apply to you and I, the people of God today, and the results of accepting or embracing these invitations also 
can be applied to our life as the people of God today as well. Notice that God always takes the initiative. God is always the one reaching out to us before we reach out to him. John even expresses this in 1 John. We love him because he what? He first loved us. So God is always the initiator. And here God himself is giving his people an invitation. An invitation that you read here in verse 1 of Isaiah 55. Hey, literally, can I have your attention, please, is what God is saying. All who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Look up at the end of verse 2. Enjoy fine food, pay attention, and come to me. Four times in the first three verses, God says, come. Four times in the first three verses, God is inviting ourselves to him, to him. God is still doing that today. Jesus even said, come to me. Come to me, all ye who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. And God is saying the same thing to us. Are we filling our lives up in God and with God? Notice he starts out this invitation again, not only by trying to get our attention, but by saying, are you thirsty? Are you fulfilled? Are you satisfied? Are you still trying to run around and find that which fulfills and satisfies? Because the invitation here in its basic form is that God is inviting us to himself because he is the only one who can totally fulfill and satisfy our human soul. He is the only one that is enough for us, that we feel totally complete in and with. Everything else will leave us wanting. Everything else will leave us thirsty again and hungry again. And Jesus, even again, expresses this thought in the New Testament. He says, the water that I give you, if you drink from the water that I give you, you'll never be thirsty again. I'm the bread of life. If you begin to partake of me, you won't be hungry anymore. So the question becomes, are we thirsty and are we going to the right source, if you will, to quench our thirst? Now notice where the grace comes in. He says, you who have no money, that's okay. You come, because what I want to give you is free. Notice, he says, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He's saying, it's a gift of my grace. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. You just come and receive it and accept it. Now, it doesn't mean that it's cheap, we saw in Isaiah 53 that it cost the Son of God everything 
to bring about this great salvation that we have and this relationship with God. He gave up everything. But for us, all we have to do is accept. All we have to do is embrace. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it because it is absolutely all based upon the grace of God. So God says, hey, all who are thirsty, come to the water. You have no money. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I think it's interesting here that God uses three different liquids, if you will. The first is water, because without water, you can't live. And there's nothing like water that can refresh us. So I believe that water symbolizes refreshment. Wine is always in the Bible a symbol of joy. So God is not only saying, come to me to have life and come to me to be refreshed, but come to me for enjoyment. And then milk has been known throughout history as sort of the complete food. And so God is saying to us by using the word milk, come to me because no one or nothing else can nourish you give you the proper, if you will, spiritual nutrition that you need like I can. And then he goes on in verse 2 to say to all of us, and of course to his people in that day, why are you paying money for something that will not nourish you? Why are you expending yourself so much for so little, basically? Things that will not satisfy or fulfill you. Oh, my. We could talk about that for a little while. Even as Christians, we can get caught up in pursuing worldly things, things outside of God. And, man, we can expend a lot of money and a lot of energy and a lot of effort and a, a lot of everything going after those things. And God says, why are you doing that? Why are you running after all these things when I'm right here? You already have a relationship with me. I'm already your God. I'm the only one that can fulfill and satisfy you completely and totally. I'm the only one that you will really feel, you know, refreshed from. Find that enjoyment that you're looking for. Find the nutrition, if you will, that you need. Why are you expending yourself on all this that you've got to then keep going back around and keep trying to find other things to fill that spot that only God can? That's always been the question I think God asks of his people, is why are you running after all these other things in your life more than you're running and pursuing after me? Because the reason you're running after those things is to find what you can only find in me, and I'm right here. Come. God says, come. Then he says, verse 2, why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy, will not fulfill, will never be enough? God says, I'm right here. 
come. Now, in the midst of this great invitation from God to his people, he does give some exhortations. Notice in verse 2, he tells his people to listen carefully. And this is not the only time he uses this word. Notice in verse 3, he says, pay attention and listen. God is saying the same thing today. He's asking us, are we really hearing and heeding the voice of God? Are we dialed in to his voice? Are we listening attentively and with interest to God? Because he's speaking, and he's speaking loud and clear, and hopefully we hear his voice saying to all of us, come, and you don't have to bring anything. Just come. And when you come, find all that you will ever want and need in me. I'm the only one that can fulfill and satisfy and be enough. Listen. Listen. And notice back in verse 2, he says, listen carefully to me and eat what is nourishing. In the Hebrew, God is saying, eat what is better for you. You can find some parallels between what God is saying we should be feasting on spiritually and what we feast on physically. He's basically saying, are you choosing things that are spiritually healthy and nutritious for you? Are you choosing things that will build you up spiritually? Or are you eating a bunch of junk? that really will not, not only satisfy you, but is not good for you. It's not nutritious for you. It's not building yourself up spiritually. God is saying to all of us, we all have that choice. We all have that choice physically. What kind of a diet are we going to choose to eat? And how good is the foods and things that we put in our body? Is it really good for us physically? Does it give us the energy and the health and all of that, or does it hurt us in some way? God is saying, you and I have to look at that even on the same level spiritually. What are we feasting on? What are we filling ourselves with spiritually? And can I just say that I think many times as Christians, we make sure that every other, you know, need in our life is pretty full as far as, you know, physically, materially, and all of that. We make sure that's all good, but the spirit, the spirit many times goes wanting. It's starving because we're really good even as Christians, especially in America where there's all this abundance, of making sure that we have all of our physical and material needs met but the spiritual is somewhere way down on the priority list. And God is saying, you need to turn that around. You need to seek me first and pay less attention and give less priority to all these other things because you will find then that when you do choose me first, that the other things not only will be there for you, but you'll actually be able to enjoy them even more than you would if I wasn't part of the picture. 
In fact, notice the very next phrase at the end of verse 2. God says to us, enjoy fine food. In a sense, God is saying to his people, dine and delight yourself at the abundance set before you at my table, a table that only the King of kings and Lord of lords can prepare for us every day. And there is no one that sets a table for his people like God does. There is no one that, that sets out the delicacies that God does for his people. The sad thing is, think about this. How tragic would it be to have, say, a world-renowned chef in your midst, and they took all of this time to prepare this scrumptious meal. I mean, you can smell the smells, and, and that's where it gets you first, is you begin to smell all the wonderful smells going on in this world-renowned chef's kitchen. And then you, obviously, we eat with our eyes, they say. So, so they plate the, the dishes and they even look like, oh my goodness, they look so appetizing that, that we're, we're, we're beginning to like salivate, right? Our mouths begin, it's like even before we eat, we can't wait, right? And then we take that bite and oh my. When we've taken a bite of something that just hits that spot for us, it's like, Ah, that's good. And we don't want to eat it quickly. We want to savor it, right? Because there's a limited amount on that table and, or plate, and when it's done, then I don't have any more. So we're just, ah. God wants us to be the same way with the table that he sets and with the food that he gives us spiritually and to to feast at his table. There's nothing like this. Nothing. Why do I want to get up from his table? <laughs> Why do I want to stop feasting? It's so good. You and I have all probably eaten somewhere, eaten something, that even after we were done, we couldn't wait to go back and get it again. We liked it that much. In fact, it got into our head. We began to even think about it. And like, oh, I, I got to have that again. It tasted. God wants that kind of an of a attitude, if you will, to, to be created within us for him and for what he alone can offer us. Can't wait to get back with God and just spend time at his table feasting on what he has for us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Enjoy fine food. In fact, keep your finger there in Isaiah 55 and go back with me to the book of Ecclesiastes for just a moment. The easiest way to find Ecclesiastes is Psalms is a pretty easy book because it's the biggest one. So find Psalms and then go through Proverbs and then after Proverbs you will come to the book of Ecclesiastes and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I want to talk for a moment about this concept of enjoyment that God is exhorting his people to do in him and with him every day. Look down at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Very important verses. First of all, God says it's okay to enjoy things. He says, there's nothing better for people than to eat and drink. Well, there you go. 
We at the Oasis, we got that down. And to find enjoyment in their work. Wow. Our culture and our world could take that, you know. People are trying to get out of work all the time. God says, you realize I created you to work? That's how you find purpose and meaning in your life is to be work, workers and have a good work ethic. And then notice this. I also perceive Solomon said that this ability to find enjoyment comes from who? God. God. God, can I find enjoyment in even routine, mundane things of life? Yeah, because that ability comes from God. That's why the New Testament, Paul tells the Corinthians, even if you're eating and drinking, do it all to the glory of God. Because if you and I eat and drink to the glory of God, we'll even find enjoyment every day in every meal that we partake of. There will be an enjoyment there that comes from God. And then notice what he says in verse 25. For no one can eat and drink, and then no one can really do anything to experience joy. Notice this, last three words, apart from him. Oh, don't miss that. You and I cannot experience joy in anything or through anything apart from God. It's, it can't be done. And notice there's no qualification. He says no one. There's no one and there's no thing that can be joyful apart from God. God is the one who gives us joy in and through all things. Even the most mundane things, the most routine things, there can be enjoyment in when we do it with God. Maybe that's one of the reasons why there's so many Christians even today that aren't filled with joy because we're trying to find our joy and our enjoyment of things in life apart from him. That's why God is calling his people to him, saying, come, come to me. I will fulfill, I will satisfy, I'll be enough. I'll give you enjoyment and nourishment and refreshment like no one or nothing else can. Come, it's free. It costs me everything, but it's free for you. Just come and sit at my table. Back to Isaiah 55. Here's the reason why. Verse 3. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so you can live. Then I will make an unconditional covenantal promise to you. Notice that also speaks of grace. Not our, it's unconditional. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on, you know, us being a certain thing. It's unconditional. God just promises these things, not based on anything that we do, just like the reliable covenantal promise I made to David, the sure, the firm, the lasting. Remember, this whole series is about where do I find my surety, my security, my stability in this world? I find it in God and in the promises of God. And the reason I can count on them is because they're not based on my performance. They're simply based on his grace. He gave them to us. And we can embrace them 
and receive them anytime. So notice he says, look, verse 4, I made him, David, a witness to the nations, a ruler and a commander of nations. Look, you then will summon nations you did not previously know. Nations that did not previously know you will run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, because he's going to bestow honor on you. In all of those verses, here's what God is saying. Here's the result of you embracing and accepting my invitation to come to me and find all you'll need in me. I will make you conspicuous. I will put you out there, and when you find your fulfillment and satisfaction in me, I will begin to draw others to you. That's what God wants to do. He's looking for churches. He's looking for people who are finding their fulfillment and satisfaction in him. And then what he's going to do, like he did with David, is draw people to those kinds. That's why God says, that guy's a man after my own heart. Yeah, he messed up. He made some serious mistakes in his life. But he's a man after my own heart because you know why? David's heart was always coming back to God You're enough for me. You're my fulfillment. You're my satisfaction. I got to continue to worship you. I got to continue to come to you. And and God loves to see that in us. And when he sees that in churches and whatnot, he begins to draw people. I hope that will encourage you as people who come to the Oasis because in the last couple years, God very clearly told me, Jeff, I'm going to start drawing people to the oasis. I'm going to start bringing people here, just like I brought the animals to Noah. You're not going to have to go looking for them. I'm going to bring them to you. Well, the only reason God's doing that is because he also sees in this church that there are a number of people who are finding their fulfillment and satisfaction in him. And when God finds that in us individually or finds that in us corporately, God begins to draw others to us because he wants them to see what a life looks like that is finding its fulfillment and satisfaction in him. That's the greatest witness. That's the greatest evidence. That's why I've said for years, why do we do church the way we do church at the Oasis? Because there's no better evangelist, there's no better witness for God in the reality of our faith than a growing, maturing Christian who's finding their fulfillment and satisfaction in God like no one or nothing else can. That's why we do what we do here. And that's God's principle. I'm going to draw them just like I did for David. Then invitation number two, verse six. Seek the Lord while he makes himself available. Call to him while he is nearby. The word seek literally means to wear out a path. Does that describe our lives? I'm wearing out a path to God. I'm pursuing him with passion. I'm responding to him always. I'm reaching out to him continually. See, the thing about God, God never gets tired of his people coming to him. We can wear out our welcome with other people. We can wear out our welcome in other people's lives. Other people can do that with us. But we never wear out our welcome with God. God never says, Okay, Jeff, you've been here now like 10 times this week. That's it. I'm done. No, you know what, God? Come, seek, 
Call. That's again repeated in the New Testament. What does Jesus say? He says, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. God is saying the same thing, Old and New Testament. And he's saying, seek me. Wear out a path. I don't care. That's why, again, in the New Testament, Paul uses language like pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean we have to, like, close our eyes and bow our... Listen, you, we've talked before. We can pray while we're driving down the highway with our eyes open. We can pray doing any activity at home, at work. We can pray while we're at work. We can pray about anything and everything at any time. It's just wearing out that path and, and pursuing God with passion and responding notice while we can. Because he does tell his people while he makes himself available, while he is nearby. In other words, Isaiah is stressing the urgency of the moment because there is a window of opportunity that God is giving us. That's true for all of us. That's true for us as a church. There is a window of opportunity. Like right now, for many, many months now, God has poured out his favor and blessing upon us, and he is moving, and he is working, and he is in our midst, but I don't ever want to take that for granted. But we've got to seize that opportunity while we can and make the most of it. We've got to do that as a church, and we all have to do that individually. Because God may not always be responding and moving and working the way he's choosing to right now in our lives. And so God is saying, seek me now, because you do have this moment. Call upon me now while you know I'm near. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. And here's why God is now inviting his people to wear out a path to him and stay close to him. Because the closer we stay to him, the better. Because in the first invitation, God is inviting us to him so that we can find fulfillment. In the second invitation, verse 6, God is calling us to himself so that we can find our footing and our faith. Because notice, he's encouraging those who have weak faith to exchange their weak faith for confidence in him. That's why he says in verse 7, the wicked need to abandon their lifestyle and sinful people their plans. They should return to the Lord and he will show mercy to them and to their God for he will freely forgive them. Folks, he's not talking to unbelievers or people that don't believe. He's talking to his own people. He's saying, you need to follow me and you need to have the faith to do so. But you don't ever get that kind of faith and strengthen your faith by keeping your distance from God as his people, the only way you and I find our footing and find our faith as his people is by staying as close to him as possible. And that's why then God goes into these very well-known verses about uh, verse 8. 
my plans are not like yours. My deeds are not like yours. Uh, the way I do things is different from yours. Why is that in this context? Because I need faith to have confidence in God's plans and the way he does things because it's going to be different than what you and I would choose. And if we're not staying close to him, we can begin to really question him and really become disillusioned by some of the choices and decisions that he makes because there's going to be continual times in our life as his people where we have to follow a God that we don't understand. And the only way you and I can follow a God that we won't understand all the time is by finding our footing in faith in him and going, well, God, that's not the way I would do it, but I trust you. And I trust you because I've worn out a path to you. And because I'm so close to you, I know your heart. And I know that you can be trusted because you've proven yourself trustworthy my whole life up to this point. And so, God, I'm just going to keep wearing out that path. I'm going to keep seeking you. I'm going to keep calling out to you because it's only when I stay close to you that I will have confidence in your plan instead of my plan. And then he goes on to say, you also need to stay close to me to find footing in faith because you need confidence in my word. Verse 10 and 11. The rain and snow fall from the sky, do not return. Instead, water the earth and make it produce and yield crops and provide seed for the planter, food for those who must eat. In the same way, the promise that I make, my word never returns to me having accomplished nothing. It is realized as I desire and is fulfilled as I intend. God's word is never wasted. The New Testament teaches us the Word of God is literally alive and powerful. Now, if you and I as Christians really believed that, you know what? We would handle His Word and use it so much more and so differently. If we really believed that these aren't just words on the page, but these are literally the breath of God and they contain life and they contain power and there is nothing like them and that every time we use it, God says, it doesn't come back without accomplishing something. I mean, think about that. Every time you and I use the Word of God, every time we open up the Word of God, every time we read it, meditate on it, study it, you name it, it never accomplishes nothing. It always accomplishes something. Why? Because it's supernatural. It's God's Word. And the closer we are to God, the more confident we are in His Word, which means the more often we're going to use it, not only in our life, but in other people's lives because we know that even though we might not see externally that anything's going on, we know that God has promised us it's not going to come back without doing something, even maybe planting a seed. And so God says, first of all, come to me. Find your fulfillment and satisfaction in me. And when you do that, I'm going to start drawing people to you because you're going to be the best witness for me that I could have when people see that they can truly be fulfilled and satisfied in me like no one or nothing else can because that's what people in the world's looking for. They're looking for something to fulfill and satisfy them. That's what they spend their whole lives doing. And then God turns around and says, let me give you a second invitation. Seek me. Call upon me because you need to find your footing and faith in me. 
And here's why. Because my ways and plans aren't like yours. I'm going to do things differently than you would do them. And if you don't stay close to me, you're not going to trust my plans. And if you don't stay close to me, you're not going to have confidence in my word and what it can do. So you're not going to really use it in your life, and you're certainly not going to share it with others because you don't think it accomplishes very much. But the result is this. When we seek him and when we call out to him and we find our footing and faith in him, notice the result, verse 12 and 13. Abundant life will be the result of trusting his word and trusting his plan. God says to his people, indeed, you will go out with joy. You will be led along in peace. The mountains and hills will give a joyful shout before you. All the trees in the field will clap their hands. Evergreens will grow in the place of thorn bushes. Firs will grow in place of nettles. They will be a monument to the Lord, a permanent reminder that will remain. I'll give you life like you can't imagine. In fact, if you go back to verse 3 for just a minute, God says to his people, pay attention, dial into my voice, come to me, listen so you can live. God's not saying listen to me so that your heart can continue to beat, so that you can continue to breathe and have physical life. The word live means so you can really live. Abundant life. Life to the highest quality that a human being could have. God says you realize that only I can give you real life. Human beings all the time are born, they live, they die, but they never experience life because life can only be experienced with God. Real life, abundant life, life like no other life. So I guess the question today, just like it was set before the people of God in Isaiah's day is, will we accept the invitation? Will we come to the Lord and find our satisfaction and fulfillment? Is he enough for us? Will we come to the Lord and continually seek and call him so that we can find our faith and footing, so that we can trust in his plan and have confidence in his word, so that we will truly live like we've never lived before? Because here's the deal. Why does God give us invitation? Because the choice is up to us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't make us follow him. He says, here I am. The table is spread before you. All you have to do is come. All you have to do is come. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you if you'd just bow with me in prayer for just a moment. Father God, we thank you today for the ability to be able to worship you and the ability, Lord, to be able to comprehend your word and hear your voice. God, I pray today that all of us have clearly heard your invitation to each of us and to us as a church to come, to seek, to call upon you. Because, Lord, there's no life like the life that we can have in and through you. It is the most complete, fulfilling, satisfying life, a life of enjoyment like no other, a life of refreshment like no other. 
And so, Lord, I pray today that all of us, Lord, would make that choice or renew that choice or recommit our choice of you in our life today. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.